is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Okay, welcome to Wayne's World. It's Wayne's World with Wayne Goldsmith. Wayne's World every Wednesday just after 10 with Wayne Goldsmith. The website that uh, he frequents or or actually administers is wgcoaching.com. Heaps of good stuff on there. Uh, And he joins us uh, as usual from the lovely Gold Coast of Australia. Good morning, sir. Oh, it's a tough life, mate. I'm sitting out next to the pool and just, look, I'm listening to the birds chirping, the sun's shining and all is good with the world. Excellent to hear. Excellent to hear. Well, before you can uh, really get into your day and into full relaxation mode, we'll take advantage of your expertise for, for 20, 25 minutes or so, if that's okay. And no doubt you caught up with the news yesterday that Sport New Zealand have have uh, joined together with uh, five of our sporting codes to come out with a new initiative around uh, around kids' sport, keeping kids in sport, uh, sideline behaviour, the way that winning should be emphasised or not. Kind of feels like the stuff you've been talking about for some time, Wayne. Well, Lapointe, first of all, I've got to say, congratulations to the people involved. It's wonderful. It's superb. It's brilliant. I'm excited about it. I'm really happy. I'm also very, very frustrated, mate, because... Look, you're dead right. I actually started a second website a few years ago called New Sport. And my argument was that sport was in such desperate stakes. The number of kids in traditional competitive sport was falling rapidly. Volunteerism was struggling. Clubs were battling financially that we're almost looking at a completely different industry. And look, mate, I argued and fought and preached and consulted with so many organisations who would would say, yeah, okay, we can probably see that, Wayne, but we can't sell that politically or it's going to create political problems for us. And I, I don't know. I've been in this for a long, long time and people keep thinking that the obstacle to success is money or facilities or equipment or infrastructure. Mate, the real limiting factor in our business and in every business is politics. And I'm not talking about Labor versus Nationals. I'm not talking about that. Human politics is where people see a problem and instead of addressing it honestly and openly and doing something about it, they go, how can I do something about it but not upset anyone, not offend anyone, not alienate anyone, not annoy people? How do I keep my job? by making change, but don't do it too quickly that I scare people and end up putting myself out of work. And, mate, it's very, very frustrating. But, again, but for this, congratulations to the sports. Wonderful sport New Zealand leading it. Tremendous, but, guys, five to ten years too late. It should have been done much earlier. And I, the thing that, that hurts me, mate, is because I travel so much, including up and down New Zealand, I've been hearing from clubs and parents and uh, junior officials and uh, district associations, they've been telling me for years that they're battling, they're struggling, they can't survive. And I think of all the people that we lost and all the people that walked away and gave up on the industry because we didn't act on the information we had years earlier. So let's hope that this is a genuine 
wonderful, committed, collaborative focus on making things better in the future. Are the politics that you talk about real, Wayne, or are they perceived and used as an excuse, if you like, by these sporting bodies not to have to make any change? Or are the politics actually there? Yeah, a bit of both, a bit of both. And there's a great line from Patrick Stewart, who was the uh, those uh, nerdy people out there like myself, who was the captain of the Enterprise in Star Trek Next Generation. He said, if you live on this planet, life is about politics. And, and look, you see it inside clubs, you see it between clubs in the same region, you see it between national bodies and provincial bodies, you see it everywhere. In some times, yes, it is. It, it's made up, and people perceive. And the, the, the classic in sports politics is uh, the people in the clubs don't get the big picture. They don't understand what's happening nationally, and therefore they're not communicating. They're not listening to us. And then the people in the clubs say, "Oh, the people in Auckland and Wellington, they don't know what it's like to be out in the provinces. They don't know what it's like at grassroots, and they're not listening to us." So there's a little bit of that, uh, but there's also a genuine. Uh, what I call trickle-down sport. That, that's been the way sport's been rolled out around the world for a long, long time, where uh, the national body or the government says, look, there's a problem, and then they sell that to the sports who then sell that to the provinces who then go and try and sell that to the provincial sporting associations who try to sell it to their clubs. And each stage down that trickle, each stage down the waterfall, there's quite often a bit of filtering a bit of political manoeuvring, a little bit of, hey, yeah, that's important message, but it's going to affect my job, my role, going to affect me a little bit too much. So there's a little bit of that. And I think that's why doing it the way that these guys have done it, where the sports have said, yes, we know there's an issue. Philosophically, we're going to work together on these bigger picture issues. Their challenge is still getting the people at grassroots sport to say, I also agree with you. And, I understand. And what does it actually, you know, I've often said to Pliny, what does it look like? It's great to talk about a philosophy of changing the way we do sport from performance focus to participation focus. But what does that look like on a Wednesday afternoon for people down in Southland coaching under eight netballers? Unless you can say, and this is what that looks like for you, unless you can make that direct connection to the people delivering sport, then very little happens. And it, it looks good. It's fantastic. Great PR. But that's always a question. What does it look like for the people actually delivering sport, which are coaches, parents, club officials, and sport officials, umpires, referees, and so on? And uh, philosophically, great. But what does it look like day to day? That's the devil in the detail. And given that then, how confident are you that sports associations who, as you say, have at least you know, at least come out and, and, and said this is what we want it to look like, how confident are you that they can sell that vision to the people you've just talked about? Well, it's a matter of getting out there. That's first of all, I often say to people, Piney, social media doesn't change attitudes, behaviours and rural beliefs. Uh, having a Facebook site, doing a press release, uh, announcing a new national initiative, those things don't actually change people day to day. People change by making a direct connection with them, listening to them, understanding their motivation, building a relationship with them, and then subtly influencing their attitudes and their behaviours. You know, you don't change by sending out brochures and flyers and websites and videos. People will change by 
connecting directly with them, listening to them, understanding, showing empathy with them, building a, a, a trusting, open, transparent, reliable relationship with them, and then influencing from there. And I think where national bodies make the mistake is they spend a lot of money on marketing campaigns and flyers and websites and Facebook uh, setups and all those things. They make the announcements, they promote the campaign, and they can't figure out why someone coaching under 10 rugby in Northland hasn't changed because of the new Facebook or the new blog or the new video. Well, mate, seriously, people don't change like that. You know, people don't change by turning on their phone going, oh, wow, there's a philosophical agreement. I'm going to change everything I do day to day in my coaching. It doesn't work like you've got to build relationships. You've got to build trust. And, and leadership requires the development of, of strong relationships with the people you're trying to work with. All right, well, let's hope those relationships can be built. Uh, You've mentioned a couple of times uh, on the air today and also in an email to me uh, about, uh, you've mentioned the phrase, too late or almost too late. Uh, This isn't going to happen overnight, but at least they've started. But is this going to take a generation, Wayne? Is this going to be the kids who are playing today once they become parents and volunteer coaches? Is that when we're going to see the fruits of this? But I suspect what's going to happen is this, is that the it is, it's a great line. It, it came from a book I bought, an American book called 99% of the people in the world are idiots and I can prove it. Now, that's the name of the book. That's not Wayne Goldsmith's being. That is seriously the name of the book. And in it, he's, there's a great, great chapter where he says, he talks about change. The author says, the reality of the world is most people don't change until it's too late or it's almost too late. Uh, and he gives some stupid examples. He says, you save money when you when you're broke. You're nice to your partner when they suggest you should see other people. You lose weight when you've got chest pains. Most people <laughs> wait until they there is no other alternative to change before they do it. And we knew that this data around the rapidly declining numbers of kids in sport, it's been around for a long time. Sport Australia, Sport New Zealand, Sport England, Sport Canada, they've all been promoting these uh, national sports participation data for probably five years, maybe longer. They knew the trends were there. But now, when the sports are going, we're desperate. We're seeing this unbelievable decline, particularly around 15, 16 years of age. We're seeing kids taking up esports and taking up other things. We're seeing people looking for alternatives to the way we've delivered sport. We're, now that they're at that desperate stage, and nothing they're doing is working. All of a sudden, they've gone, hmm, maybe we need to do something now. And I mean, that's a tragedy. It's the, the, the tragedy is that in spite of this information being around and the trends being visible and academics talking about it and, it, and, and knowing that it was global issues for such a long period of time, it's the tragedy is that people don't change until it's absolutely too late or close to too late. But I suspect the mistake that, that New Zealand will make and Australia, I think, is about to make the same mistake as well is that they'll go too far the other way. Is And I've seen some of the feedback about that article in the Herald yesterday that I think the sports will end up making some big mistakes. Is What they'll do is, okay, sport is now all about participation and all about growth and all about numbers and they'll rush to go that way completely and they'll underfund, underfocus, and underemphasize high performance sport. And that's already happening. If you look at the funding for sport around the world, there's been this massive shift towards recreation, health, fitness, leisure, well being, and justifiably because of 
society health concerns. I completely get that. But I suspect what will happen in Australia, New Zealand, a couple of other places, and I'm seeing it already, is that they'll get on the bandwagon. They'll all go way, way, way down the participation, fun, family, fitness experience, made because that's the trend at the moment. That's the, the trendy, fashionable thing to do. And we'll see a huge decline then in the focus on performance sport. We've got to be smart about this and continue to provide opportunities for kids in the competitive space and use performance sport for all those great things that we know it develops around team building and confidence and values. There's always going to be a need for it. I'm, I'm, a, bit, I'm a bit concerned, having been around for a long time, that there'll be a, a, a decided knee-jerk reaction. Everybody will rush to the participation, uh, fun family fitness end, and the competitive side will struggle. And then, mate, you and I will be talking 10 years from now, probably from the old folks' home, um, and saying, yes. oh, look, oh, look, we've got all these kids playing sport, but there's no performance programs for any of them. And uh, the sports have all come together to make a combined commitment to increase competitive sporting opportunities. Mate, I know it sounds really cynical, uh, and maybe I've just become an old fart in my old base, but I suspect that we'll see the cycle return again in five to ten years. Yeah, it's not that far fetched. Um, one of the uh, one of the planks of yesterday was was uh, a move away from early specialisation, which we've talked about a lot on overtraining that sort of thing. And a question here on text: Could you ask Wayne a question? I have three boys aged between ten and twelve. They love their sport, want to try as many sports as possible. And as parents, we want them to try different sports as well. But they're playing six days a week. How much is too much for them? And and just bear in mind that this is them playing a lot of different things rather than playing one thing six days a week. Uh, what advice would you give to those parents? Look, as long as they're enjoying it and they're getting in the car with you saying, man, I love football, I love netball, cricket's fantastic, swimming was good, as long as they're positive and they're happy and healthy and they're not getting injured or sick, you know, as long as they're physically, mentally, emotionally, um, developmentally uh, enjoying what they're doing and you're not seeing any any negativity, then what tends to happen with kids in that age group, you know, sort of 10 to 12, 10 to 13, is each of the sports will start to present an argument, oh, this is the time you've got to specialise. This is the time that you've got to be focused. And But one of the things that's important about that philosophical approach that the big sports made yesterday is they've got to get a message down the line that as a united front there won't be a push to have kids specialise or do football all year round or that they won't be pushing those sorts of ideas. Because if only one does it, and I, you know, I know North Harbour Rugby's already gone through this, that if one sport says, we're about late specialisation, we're about uh, long-term development, we're about not putting kids in junior rep teams too early, if the other sports don't buy into it, it becomes an opportunity for them to attract those kids or and families who might be specifically looking for early specialisation opportunities. So classic example would be if North Harbour Rugby goes down the path they've gone and you were running North Harbour Rugby League or North Harbour, um, North Harbour uh, Soccer, North Harbour Football, you'd say, all right, we'll be running junior elite programs for sevens and eights because you'd see it as an opportunity. And that's why that unified philosophical approach has got to be one of the most important steps they can make. It's got to be one in, all in. Mm. 
Such an interesting topic, Wayne. Um, so, what do you see then? You've already you've already outlined a couple of things that you'll you see. Um, but if you were advising, uh, and I don't want you to give out free advice because I know uh, your advice is worth uh, worth actually paying for. But if you were to advise Sport New Zealand or, or some of these other codes on what they should do from here, is it is it what you mentioned before, getting out and and delivering the message face to face to those who the, who can then trickle it all the way down to the Southland under eight netball team? Oh, absolutely. I'd I'd be if you're looking where to put your money. Uh, I wouldn't be spending, I know this is going to offend a whole bunch of people, but that's never stopped Australians. I wouldn't be spending any more money at national level. I'd be spending money on people in the regions, in provinces, building strong relationships and helping and building capability at grassroots sport. Mate, one of the big guys, the most smartest things the AFL has done recently, and I applaud them for that, is they said, look, instead of putting on more national staff, state staff, we're going to start putting development people in clubs. We're going to put people in junior sports clubs who can affect the coaches, who can work with the parents, who can help the administrators at grassroots level, who can build stronger. We're actually, instead of running workshops and conferences and clinics and websites, we're going to spend our money putting our workforce in clubs and be right there to help the parents, the coaches, the athletes, the umpires, the referees and the sports administrators right where sport is happening. And sure, it's expensive. But if you look at sports marketing budgets, their advertising budgets, their TV budgets, if you look at the money they're wasting at these big national program promotions, reinvest that money working directly with the people at club level, at provincial level, the people who are delivering sport. That's the way we've got to go. Make sure you stay out of that blazing sun for a week at least, and we'll, <laughs> and we'll chat to you next Wednesday, Wayne. All right, mate. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more sports thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.